Chapter Nine, Part One of Twenty Years of the Republic, eighteen eighty five to nineteen hundred five, by Harry Thurston Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Bond Sales and Venezuela, Part One. While the Wilson Bill was dragging its slow way through Congress, and while the fierce struggle against the railways in the West was being fought out to the bitter end, another highly controversial question had arisen to plague the President and to widen still further the breach between him and the majority of his party. Throughout the entire four years of the second Cleveland administration, the sensitive nerve of the government lay in the condition of the Treasury and it throbbed painfully in response to every event of serious import whether this related to domestic politics or to international affairs here again the makeshifts and compromises of the past broke down completely and the president was forced to take upon himself the whole burden of a responsibility which his predecessors had managed to evade the events now to be narrated are those concerning which the sharpest differences of opinion existed at the time they obscured in the mind of the people all the other acts of administration they stirred millions of americans to a pitch of acrimonious frenzy for which there are few parallels in our history and in the end they shivered and rent the democratic party until it cast aside its old traditions and while retaining its historic name stood forth transformed into the champion of new causes and new political ideals it has already been mentioned in these pages that the treasury's gold reserve of one hundred million dollars was intended to protect an outstanding issue of notes which by the end of eighteen ninety three amounted to nearly five hundred million dollars this gold reserve had proved adequate in the past until the operation of the sherman silver purchase act of eighteen ninety gradually shook public confidence in the treasury's ability to meet its steadily increasing obligations the repeal of this act under pressure from president cleveland as already described had to be sure absolved the secretary from buying two tons of silver every month and paying for it in gold yet in matters of finance distrust when once aroused dies hard in april of eighteen ninety three when the hoarding of gold was at its height the treasury's gold redemption fund had for the first time fallen below the hundred million mark and the circumstance had sent a shiver through the business world some had quickly seen in it an opportunity for making money for the true peril of the treasury from the standpoint of conservative finance lay not so much in the discrepancy between its obligations and its gold reserve as in the fact that under existing laws no sooner was a government note presented at the treasury and redeemed in gold than it must immediately be reissued to become again a new obligation the situation was admirably and forcibly described to congress by mr cleveland in several of his later messages thus speaking of the gold reserve fund he said even if the claims upon this fund were confined to the obligations originally intended note one page three ninety and if the redemption of these obligations meant their cancellation the fund would be very small but these obligations when received and redeemed in gold are not cancelled but are reissued and may do duty many times by way of drawing gold from the treasury thus we have an endless chain in operation constantly depleting the treasury's gold and never near a final rest note two page three ninety referring to the statute of may eighteen seventy eight he remarked with epigrammatic pungency the government was put in the anomalous situation of owing to the holders of its notes debts payable in gold upon demand which could neither be retired by receiving such notes in discharge of obligations due the government nor cancelled by actual payment in gold it was forced to redeem without redemption and to pay without acquittance note three page three ninety one 
these two paragraphs indicate very well the view which mr cleveland and his supporters in the eastern states took of the financial situation they held that the treasury was bound to redeem all its notes of every kind in gold at the discretion of the persons who presented the notes for payment the corollary to this theory was that when the gold reserve in the treasury had been unduly lowered by the process it became the duty of the secretary of the treasury to sell bonds of the united states in order to replenish the reserve note four page three ninety one and thus make it possible for the operation of the endless chain to continue indefinitely of course the issue of more bonds meant an increase of the national debt but as mr cleveland understood the case there was no help for this until congress should enact new currency legislation providing for the retirement and cancellation of all notes when once redeemed but both bimetallists and all the friends of silver declared that such a policy was both unreasonable and likely to prove ruinous they pointed out the fact that of all the government obligations only the legal tender treasury notes greenbacks were specifically redeemable in gold the silver certificates issued under the bland allison act of eighteen seventy eight were on their face declared to be redeemable in silver while the notes issued for the purchase of silver bullion under the sherman act of eighteen ninety were by the terms of that act redeemable in coin i e in either gold or silver at the option of the treasury and as they were issued against the silver bullion purchased by them why should they be redeemed in gold that the treasury might pay out silver for them if it chose was not denied even by secretary carlyle himself on his appearing somewhat later before a committee of the house note five page three ninety two mr sibley of pennsylvania asked him what objection could there be to having the option of redeeming either in silver or gold lie with the treasury instead of with the note-holder to which mr carlyle made the following reply if that policy had been adopted at the beginning of resumption the policy of reserving to the government the option of redeeming in gold or silver all its paper presented i believe it would have worked beneficially and there would have been no trouble growing out of it but the secretaries of the treasury from the beginning of resumption have pursued a policy of redeeming in gold or silver at the option of the holder of the paper and if any secretary had afterwards attempted to change that policy and for silver upon a man who wanted gold or gold upon a man who wanted silver and especially if he had made that attempt at such a critical period as we have had in the last two years my judgment is that it would have been very disastrous there is a vast difference between establishing a policy at the beginning and reversing a policy after it has been long established and especially after the situation has been changed but the silver men would not admit the strength of this position if argued they republican secretaries have incorrectly interpreted the law that is no reason why a democratic administration should not revert to its correct and unquestioned meaning redeem the greenbacks in gold for such is the law but redeem the silver certificates and coin certificates in the silver in which the statute makes them payable why when the gold in the treasury is low and while the vaults are bursting with silver dollars why lay open the gold supply to be raided by every speculator and decline to make use of the ample stock of silver the president however took his stand upon the declaration of congress which had been made a part of the sherman act of eighteen ninety to the effect that it was the established policy of the united states to maintain the two metals at a parity with each other upon the present legal ratio or such ratio as may be provided by law mr cleveland held that such a parity between gold and silver could not be maintained if the treasury made any discrimination whatsoever between the different kinds of government paper it must redeem them all alike 
greenbacks silver certificates and coin notes in gold or else excite a suspicion of the good faith and honest intentions of the government's professions or create a suspicion of our country's solvency note six page three ninety three hence he made up his mind that gold should be paid for every note presented and that he would make an unstinted use of the nation's borrowing power rather than reverse the policy of his predecessors he would buy gold with bonds to any extent that might be necessary such too had been the determination of president harrison and towards the close of his administration he had been almost forced to take such a step for the drain upon the gold reserve had begun even then orders in fact had been given to engrave the plates for the printing of such bonds in february eighteen ninety three but the necessity had been staved off by secretary charles foster who managed to get a temporary supply of gold about eight million dollars from a group of new york bankers thus the outgoing republican administration was spared the necessity of doing that to which president cleveland was soon forced by circumstances the gold reserve which in april eighteen ninety three had fallen to ninety seven million dollars continued steadily to diminish throughout the year the general hoarding of gold was one cause of this for persons who wished to hoard could draw gold from the treasury far more easily than from the banks note seven page three ninety four gold was also drawn out freely for export and in the way of trade on the other hand the customs receipts which are as a rule made in gold were now for the most part paid in paper so that there was no flow of gold back to the treasury to offset the drain hence at the beginning of the eventful year eighteen ninety four the government's gold fund had sunk to only seventy million dollars against which there was outstanding nearly five hundred million dollars of paper money all of it according to the cleveland policy redeemable upon demand in gold the discrepancy was a frightful one the more so in view of the general business depression the uncertainties of tariff legislation and the lack of public confidence hence by direction of the president january seventeenth an issue of fifty million dollars in united states bonds was advertised for sale in exchange for gold note eight page three ninety five bidders were required to offer a premium of not less than seventeen per cent it was hoped by the president and the secretary that these bonds would be at once oversubscribed and that the mere announcement of their sale would check the run upon the gold fund in the treasury but both these hopes were disappointed bids came in so slowly that by february first it seemed as though the sale would be a total failure a result to be averted at any risk to announce that the united states could not borrow fifty million of dollars in the open market would have been at once humiliating and disastrous yet such appeared for a time to be the case while the announcement of the bond issue so far from lessening the drain of treasury gold actually hastened it on january thirty first the reserve fund stood at only sixty six million dollars in this crisis secretary carlyle hurried to new york and called together a number of leading financiers he pointed out to them that if the loan should fail the shock to the public credit would disastrously affect the interests which they represented that in this event the treasury must inevitably suspend gold payments and the country's finances be placed upon a silver basis moved by these considerations the secretary's hearers promised to support the loan and within a week the bonds had been exchanged for sufficient gold to bring the treasury's gold balance up to more than one hundred seven million dollars note nine page three ninety five but the incident had been a very trying one a grievous disappointment to the president and very ominous for the future in fact the relief proved to be only temporary 
some of those who had subscribed for the bonds had drawn the gold to pay for them from the treasury itself thus taking out with one hand what they put back with the other furthermore it had now been made plain that the credit of the united states was at the mercy of the great bankers and other heads of financial institutions they could at will so bleed the treasury of gold as to compel new bond issues and by combining together they could in the future exact such terms from the government as to assure themselves an extraordinary profit this lesson they resolved to put into practice while the opportunity was still open within a little more than two months after the reserve had been reinforced by the purchased gold it had again fallen to seventy eight million dollars the government tried every possible means to check the drain but to little purpose in november the fund stood at only sixty one million dollars and it was known that preparations were being made by new york bankers of foreign extraction to draw heavily upon this scanty store for shipment to foreign countries on the fourteenth of the month the situation being most serious secretary carlyle called for bids in gold for a second issue of fifty million dollars in bonds this issue was taken up by a syndicate of thirty-three banking-houses and financiers who managed to secure the entire allotment by bidding for all or none as the other bids did not cover the whole amount and as the acceptance of them would have involved delay at a time when delay might prove disastrous the syndicate was successful one of its members the president of the united states trust company of new york afterwards testified under oath that the transaction was unprofitable to the subscribers an assertion which was received with a very general scepticism this second bond issue like the first afforded only a momentary relief wall street had now thoroughly learned the lesson and began applying it with a vengeance in a single month december eighteen ninety four the sum of thirty two million dollars in gold was taken from the treasury in the following month january eighteen ninety five forty five million dollars more was sucked out of the dwindling fund early in february there remained only forty one million dollars an alarmingly slender store with which to secure the undiminished five hundred million dollars of notes that were still in circulation thus within two months after the second bond sale nearly eighty million dollars of gold had vanished from the treasury and the reserve fund touched the lowest point it had ever reached in this emergency the president invited to a conference at the white house mr j pierpont morgan a very eminent and sagacious financier in a sort of apologia published eight years later mr cleveland wrote with a touch of irony it never occurred to any of us to consult farmers doctors lawyers shoemakers or even statesmen we could not escape the belief that the prospect of obtaining what we needed might be somewhat improved by making application to those whose business and surroundings qualified them to intelligently respond note ten page three ninety seven of course what the president now wanted in the light of vast experience was not merely gold to replenish the reserve but some effective guarantee that the gold so acquired would not be immediately drawn out again only a very powerful financial combination could give this guarantee and such a combination was effected as a result of the conference with mr morgan on february eighth in a special message the president laid before congress the terms of an agreement entered into by secretary carlyle on behalf of the government and by messrs j p morgan and company and messrs august belmont and company the former banking-house was acting also for messrs j s morgan and company of london the latter for messrs n m rothschild and sons of london 
by the terms of the agreement the subscribing bankers were to take up an issue of united states four per cent coin bonds to the amount of sixty two million three hundred fifteen thousand four hundred dollars at the rate of one hundred four and a half to be paid for in gold at least half of which was to be brought from europe they were also to the extent of their ability to exert all financial influence and make all legitimate efforts to protect the treasury of the united states against the withdrawal of gold pending the complete performance of this contract on the other hand the secretary of the treasury agreed to give these banking houses the first option upon any further bonds which might be issued before october first eighteen ninety five so far the contract was one which it was within the legal power of the secretary to make without referring the matter to congress at all but the second clause contained a special provision if congress would authorize the payment of principal and interest to be made specifically in gold instead of in coin then the syndicate would accept three per cent bonds in place of the proposed bonds at four per cent the difference would mean a saving to the united states of some sixteen million dollars in interest in the course of the thirty years during which the bonds were to run the president therefore laid the contract before congress and asked for authority to issue three per cent bonds payable in gold until now congress had had no opportunity to deal directly with the president's policy regarding the bond issues in march of eighteen ninety four it had passed a bill for coining the seigniorage or so much of the silver bullion in the treasury as represented the difference between its intrinsic value and its value when coined into money this bill the president had promptly vetoed on the ground that its wording was ambiguous and because in his judgment sound finance does not commend a further infusion of silver into our currency note eleven page three ninety nine as a matter of fact the intrinsic value of the silver bullion purchased under the sherman act had already decreased so as to represent a loss to the treasury of more than ten million dollars hence mr a s hewitt very neatly described the scheme to coin the seigniorage as a plan for coining a vacuum again the president had urged upon congress a bill for currency reform drawn by secretary carlyle note twelve page three ninety nine the object of this bill was the absolute divorcement of the government from the business of banking by giving greater facilities to national and state banks note thirteen page three ninety nine but congress was in no mood to legislate in favor of banks of any kind and the house by a test vote upon a subsidiary motion made this fact so clear that the bill was dropped but now the whole matter of the bond issues came directly before that body and a democratic majority had to discuss the financial policy of a democratic president a joint resolution authorizing the issue of three per cent bonds payable specifically in gold was reported by the committee on ways and means on february fourteenth mr bryan of nebraska spoke in opposition to the measure and for the second time attracted widespread attention by the force and piquancy of his style he gave voice in fact to the rising note of doubt distrust and discontent which the course of the president had excited throughout the western states at the same time the fairness and courtesy of his whole tone and manner could give no personal offence even to mr cleveland's partisans speaking of the president mr bryan said the president of the united states is only a man we entrust the administration of government to men and when we do so we know that they are liable to err when men are in public office we expect them to make mistakes even so exalted an official as the president is liable to make mistakes and if the president does make a mistake what should congress do 
ought it blindly to approve his mistake or do we owe it to the people of the united states and even to the president himself to correct the mistake so that it will not be made again but some gentlemen say that the democratic party should stand by the president what has he done for the party since the last election to earn its gratitude what gratitude should we feel the gratitude which a confiding ward feels towards his guardian without a bond who has squandered a rich estate what gratitude should we feel the gratitude which a passenger feels towards the trainman who has opened a switch and precipitated a wreck then coming to the morgan belmont contract he went on to say what is this contract i am glad that it has been made public it is a contract made by the executive of a great nation with the representatives of foreign money loaners it is a contract made with men who are desirous of changing the foreign policy of this country they recognize by their actions that the united states has the right to pay coin obligations in either gold or silver and they come to us with the insolent proposition we will give you sixteen million dollars paying a proportionate amount each year if the united states will change its financial policy to suit us never before has such a bribe been offered to our people by a foreign syndicate and we ought so to act that such a bribe will never be offered again by this contract we not only negotiate with foreigners for a change in our financial policy but we give them an option on future loans we cannot afford to put ourselves in the hands of the rothschilds who hold mortgages on most of the thrones of europe there is another objection to this contract it provides for the private sale of coin bonds running thirty years at one hundred four and a half which ought to be worth one hundred nineteen in the open market and which could have been sold at public auction for one hundred fifteen without the least effort why this sacrifice of the credit of the united states what excuse was there for selling a thirty-year bond for one hundred four and a half what defence can be made for this gift of something like seven million and a half dollars to the bond syndicate and finally he attacked with much force the fundamental assumption of the president that all the obligations of the government must be paid in gold and in gold alone if the note-holder and bond-holder demanded it so long as the note-holder has the option bonds may be issued over and over again without avail gold will be withdrawn either directly or indirectly for the purpose of buying bonds and an issue of bonds will be compelled again whenever bond-buyers have a surplus of money awaiting investment the only remedy is the restoration of the bimetallic principle and the exercise of the option to redeem greenbacks and treasury notes in silver whenever silver is more convenient or whenever such a course is necessary to prevent a run upon the treasury the government is helpless so long as it refuses to exercise this option i propose the only policy which will help the government i propose the only policy which will stop the leak in the treasury i only ask that the treasury department shall be administered on behalf of the american people and not on behalf of the rothschilds and other foreign bankers mr bryan's attack upon the joint resolution was not the only cause of its defeat many democrats who believed that all bonds were and ought to be payable in gold disliked the terms of the morgan belmont contract as inequitable the republican members of the house were for the most part glad to thrust the democratic administration still further down into the mire of popular dislike and therefore the measure was finally defeated by a vote made up of all the populists of two-thirds of the republicans and of more than half the democrats note fourteen page four hundred two 
the president's transactions with the bond syndicate were thus condemned by the representatives of all three parties he carried out the original contract however and delivered bonds to the amount of sixty two million three hundred fifteen thousand five hundred dollars in return for gold at the rate of one hundred four and a half when he did so the gold reserve had fallen to so low an ebb that the sub-treasury in new york was within twenty-four hours of suspending gold payments altogether then something happened which seemed to many to be full of sinister meaning no sooner had the syndicate secured the bonds which it had bought at a hundred and four and a half than it offered them for sale in the open market almost at once their price rose to one hundred eighteen investors were eager to buy them at this figure and yet these were the bonds which had been described as of uncertain value because they were not made specifically payable in gold it is not surprising that the administration was widely and severely censured for the whole transaction in financial circles mr cleveland found defenders who said that he was not responsible for the vicious legislation of earlier years that the pressing necessities of the situation gave him no choice save to get gold where he could as quickly as he could and on the best terms possible and that in a word he had done the very best thing in his power but there were many loyal followers of the president who were deeply impressed with the belief that the whole affair had been very badly managed the united states one of the richest countries in the world was apparently dependent upon a little group of bankers for a loan of some sixty million dollars and was forced to make those bankers a gift of nearly seven million dollars in return for the accommodation such usury might be paid by a country like turkey but hardly by the united states why it was asked did the president wait until the gold in the treasury was almost gone before negotiating a new bond issue why were not the bonds offered to the people at large for popular subscription if the bonds were sold in this way to small investors throughout the country self-interest would make the people anxious to sustain the national credit whereas these favors to foreign bankers created a strong sentiment inimical to the very cause which mr cleveland was upholding the new york world which had consistently and ably supported the president until this time now attacked the syndicate transaction with unsparing energy it had opposed all exclusive issues of bonds to bankers who after giving the treasury a supply of gold would at once siphon it all out again in less than a year said the world note fifteen page four hundred three the government has had one hundred seventeen million dollars from the banks and has lost it all and eight million dollars more through the financial thimble rigging of wall street its comment upon the completed syndicate transaction or bank parter negotiations as it called them was made in these words which very fairly expressed the verdict of a majority of democrats even in the east it is an excellent arrangement for the bankers it puts at least sixteen million dollars into their pockets for the nation it means a scandalous surrender of credit and a shameful waste of substance note sixteen page four hundred four scientific bimetallists pointed to the transaction as an object lesson and as a warning of the financial dangers inherent to the adoption of the single gold standard refuse to make any use of silver said they and see the position in which you find yourself the very credit and financial stability of the government are at the mercy of wall street money kings who can bleed the gold reserve and force new bond issues at their pleasure but if the treasury were to make only a very small part of each payment in silver it would thus serve notice upon the speculators that they cannot go on raiding the reserve at will and it would induce exporters of gold to depend for their supplies upon the banks they cited the practice of the bank of france in support of their contentions 
End of chapter 9, part 1